As part of Ferrari Fridays, William Ross from the Exotic Car Marketplace will be discussing all things Ferrari and interviewing people that live and breathe the Ferrari brand. Topics range from road cars to racing, drivers to owners, as well as auctions, private sales, and trends in the collector market. Welcome back to the Ferrari Marketplace. As you can see, I'm trying to get a little more regular about this and schedule Tuesdays for uh, dropping new uh, episodes here. So I'm getting a little more diligent about things. I know I have said that in the past, but hey, you know what? Try and get what I've done, get done, right? You know, so lots of things going on. So, but trying to get a little more structured here and everything like that. So and get some more of these things out and uh, kind of get some more stories out there, some more histories, more backgrounds, some more of my opinions. Hey. And if you guys ever want to shoot some of yours out there, just let me know. You know how to get a hold of me, William at TheFerrariMarketplace.com. So today's episode, what we're going to talk about is probably the sexiest car ever made, in my opinion. It's up there in the top five, at least if it's not one or two. And it's definitely probably the sexiest Ferrari ever built, in my opinion. I could be wrong, other people have that, you know, hey... It's everyone's own choice. But in my mind, I think it is. And as you can tell from the title, we are talking about the Ferrari 330P3. That sexy, beautiful car from back in the late 60s, uh, mid-late 60s, that uh, they built up to start tackling to go against the GT40s uh, that were coming and started wanting to dominate. So, yeah, Le Mans. So... As everyone knows, the story of Ford versus Ferrari, everything like that, you know, um, you know, Ford, you know, old uh, the Deuce wanted to buy Ferrari because Ferrari was up for sale. He was in money troubles and have you know, he was trying to, you know, sort itself out. But, you know, and so what he, he really didn't care about the road car division, obviously, as everyone knows. He was more, hey, about his racing cars. That's what his love and his passion was. He built road cars just to fund his racing. But anyways, so after that deal collapsed, ever so historically and very very well known now and how everything went down it i'm sure there are tidbits of that story that we will never know because everyone involved are deceased so but i mean talk about wanting to be a fly on the wall in those meetings and everything that went on you know that would have been just unbelievable to know the actual true story of how things really kind of went down in the offices or discussions and what have you you know, it's all coming from third, fourth, fifth part, what have you. So, and it's, I'm sure it's got diluted and watered down. And, you know, the old telephone storyline thing is by the time it gets to everyone, it's from, you know, got 10 different versions of the story. But anyways, as we know, you know, Ford brought, started bringing, you know, the GT40s and uh, to start racing in the FIA World Championship, Sports Car Championship. And, you know, they weren't doing too hot right after the beginning. They had big problems, everything like that. And as everyone knows, because Ford you know, tried to do it, and that's when they turned everything over to Carroll. So, but, so anyways, in 1966 is when some you know, big changes happened in the World Sports Car Championship. You know, now, since 1962, it's been pretty much decided by production brakes grand touring cars, i.e. like the 250 GTO and whatnot. So, but... They also, starting in 1966, is they actually implemented, you know, that they get, you know, purpose-built machinery could contest a limited number of the world championship events. 
uh, and those points would go toward a separate championship for the prototype machinery. Now, that all changed in 66, though, when the FIA new uh, Appendix J regulations were ushered in. Now, the main event for everything and the manufacturer's championship decided by group, group six prototypes split into over and under two liter classes. So, group six had no minimum production requirements and the championship would be contested over seven races, eight in the case of the under two liter cars. Now, running simultaneously at most events, and with some standalone uh, events for the smaller engine cars was the International Sports Car Championship for Group 4 cars. Now to qualify for Group 4, a manufacturer had to build 50 examples of the vehicle we wanted to race. The three Group 4 classes were for under 1,300cc machinery, those with engines between 1,301 and 2,000, and then those who was placing over 2,000 cubic inches, 2,000cc or however you want to pronounce it. Now, the Group 3 Grand Touring cars were still permitted to run at most events, but were no longer eligible for the championship points significantly. Minimum production requirement had been hiked from 100 to 500 vehicles. Now, the premier over 2-liter class of the 1966 Manufacturer Championship for the Group 6 prototypes here compromised of these races, 24 hours of Daytona, the Sebring 12 hours, the Monza 1,000 kilometers, the Targa Florio, awesome race, the Spa 1,000 kilometers, the Nürburgring, 1,000 kilometers, and the Le Mans, 24 hours. However, only the best four results would actually count towards their final points tally, which is pretty good. I mean, so you can knock out, you know, a couple of your worst events, which could come in handy, except if, you know, you were doing good in, in all of them. So, but that that is kind of an interesting approach to it. And, you know, just, hey, out of, your, out of those, it was just your best four points that actually went towards the championship. Now... To tackle this growing uh, threat from Ford and their GT40s, you know, obviously they were tweaking, refining those cars. Ferrari created the new 330 P3, that gorgeous car and piece of machinery. Now, the, three, the P3 was reserved strictly for use by the works teams, while Ferrari's satellite squads, you know, probably by their distributorships, i.e. You know, like NART and stuff like that, they would be supplied with P2s that had brought up been brought up to a P2 slash 3 specification which ran less complex single overhead camshaft engines. So just a little simpler motors in the cars. And you know, they, they did alright, but hey, you know, hey, Ferraris, the work squads, didn't want to have you know, something going against them. So anyways, so they, they also came up with a, 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 an under two, a, under a 2 liter Group 4 Challenge for 1966, the Dino 206S which had very similar look and you know feel to it as the 330 P3s, but you know obviously smaller engines, what have you, a bit smaller size. Now both the P3 and the Dinos were uh, unveiled at the, press, uh, at the Marinello's press conference in 19, February 1966. Now unfortunately those labor strikes were paralyzing Italy at the time, which led to Ferrari to attend the first five races of 66 with just a, a single P3 entry, while the ambitious 50 car homologation target for the Dino 206 never came close to being achieved because of all the labor strife and everything in Italy. As people, you know, if you're a history person, buff, whatever, and it wasn't just the car industry, but just labor in general, you know, they were paid absolutely crap. They were probably working 12, 14 hour days, six, possibly seven days a week. I mean, they just took advantage of these people beyond belief. And these people needed to, you know, hey, they got to pay their bills, keep a roof over their head, feed their families, and everything like that. So, now the new P3 was based around a new uh, 
603 tubular steel space frame chassis. You know, it was reinforced with uh, aluminum panels to create kind of a semi-monocoque effect. You know, it had about a 2400 millimeter wheelbase that was carried over from the P2. You know, the engine and the uh, gearbox were now, you know, integral part of the structure, stressed member of the structure. Now, along with the bonded fiberglass underside that extended into the rocker panels, as a consequence of all this, the torsional rigidity was much improved. So, you had a much, much better handling car, much stronger, more rigid, as everyone knows. The more stiffer the car is, you know, the better you can make that thing go. So, the suspension was pretty similar to the P2, you know, unequal leak, uh, equal like wishbones, coil springs, dutchable stocks, anti-roll bars, you know, the standard stuff. You know, and they had vented disc brakes that were spied by Gurley, uh, mounted inboard of the rear differential at the rear. So, you know, kind of standard stuff. Going they had the 15-inch center lock uh, wheels, and then you run it on uh, Firestones, though, instead of the Dunlops, which was kind of an interesting switch. And they had a 57-liter fuel tank. It was housed in each cell, so two gas tanks, capacity almost basically around 114 liters. That's how that math works. Yeah. So the engine, let's get to that. Now the engine, the heart of this beast, you know, was just a dry sump four-liter direct overhead camshaft 63 V12 of, you know, Colombo design and lineage. Now unlike the P2, which had used both 3.3 and 3.2, uh, 275 and uh, 330 engines, the P3 only ever ran with a four-liter power unit. Now, the P3's uh, motor was the first engine from Malinello to features, uh, feature Lucas fuel injection, as opposed to the Webers that they had been using in the past. So it kind of was a big jump, I guess you'd say, technology going from you know, fuel injection from carburetors. So it also came with twin spark ignition, you know, some lightweight cylinder heads and higher compression ratio. Not a lot, but a little bit bigger. You know, displacement was all the way up to 3,967 cc's, thanks to an unchanged the board stroke was basically the same as 77 by 71. Now, peak output put this baby at 420 horsepower. Now, imagine that. That car was light. You know, there wasn't much there. So, 420 horsepower. I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot, but remember, you had a car that weighed, you know, uh, probably under 2,000 pounds easily. Um, you know, there wasn't much there. So, just a five-speed tranny, you know, uh, Borgwater. Uh, I'm sorry, not a Borgwater. <laughs> My bad. Uh, but just a standard five-speed uh, Tipo 593 gearbox. So... I don't know why I said Borg Warner. I mean, as soon as I immediately see it, trans, talk about transmissions, that means you jump to a Borg Warner from back in the day. So that's just me. My apologies. Hey, what can you do? Now, the bodywork was actually an evolution from the, P, uh, the P2 from 65. You know, they had, uh, you know, the front cars, a nice wide, wide oval intake. They had, you know, uh, housed some brake ducts, you know, to keep those brakes nice and cool. And, you know, stack headlights under some plexiglass covers. You know, dome windscreen, you know, gave a great view out the front. You could, you know, have great vision of what's going on around you, especially in front of you. And there was also a roofless spider variant um, that was created uh, for that also. So they had a couple different versions. You had the heart, you know, spider, Berlinetta, everything. So, anyways, get some cooling slots, everything cut in, you know, um, by the sills from the doors, behind the rear wheels, where, you know, the tail was... You know, not anything crazy. You know, back then they really weren't getting in all those wings and all that kind of stuff. So, but all these uh, body panels were fabricated from some real thin gauge aluminum. You know, obviously to keep that lightweight down. And if you ever had a show or something, don't ever even like put your hand on it because they'll just basically it'll dent those cars. So, and pretty 
per regulations and whatnot, you, know, you had to have the two seats. So you had two tiny seats stuck in there. Um, so to keep everyone in, and I don't know, <laughs> I mean, obviously you can go for a ride in the passenger seat, but it obviously it wasn't meant to have someone in there while they were racing. So. And every P3, which is interesting, was all built in right-hand drive with the right-hand gear change. So they had it on the right-hand drive, but which I always thought was interesting because, you know, you see these cars that, you know, England, everywhere they got, you know, it's a right-hand drive car. You know, your gear selector, that was always in the center. But if you look at all those, you know, cars back in the day that were right-hand drive, you look at the, the Porsches, you know, they were the same way. They were 917, all that stuff. They had the gear selectors at the right. So the gear selector was going down the sill. So it was kind of interesting, you know, and weight, 850 kilograms. So do your adjusted math. Yeah, it's, you know, under 2,000 pounds. I think my math's correct on that. Again, if I'm wrong, I apologize. Metric system and kilograms and all that stuff, you know, I'm American. What do I know? So I'm doing those things over like that. So the beautiful thing is they had a top speed, not quite 200 miles an hour. They could probably top out about 192 to 193, depending on, you know, that day, temperature, and what have you. And, you know, obviously, again, you know, back day, but you could still get under, you know, in under four seconds up to 60 miles an hour. So production on these, Ferrari only built three examples of the P3 for 66. So we had chassis 0844, that was a Berlinetta that contested at Monza, Spa, and Le Mans. You had chassis 0846, that was a Spider that contested four races. That was Sebring, the Target Florio, the Nürburgring, and Le Mans. And another Berlinetta of 0848 was another Berlinetta that only contested at Le Mans. So for 66, they had great set of, you know, employed some awesome drivers. Everyone's going to know these names in 66. You know, Mike Parks, John Surtees, Ludovico Scarfiati, Nino Vaccarella, Lorenzo Bandini, Jean Guillet, Pedro Rodriguez, Bob Andrant, Mario Cassoni. You know, and they would uh, go out there and challenge the Ford Chaparral's team and take it to them. Now, Ford only announced the 66 they were going to contest just the three rounds for the championship in their MK2 GT40. Those were just the 24 hours of Daytona, 12 hours of Sebring, 24 hours of mine. Now, by contrast, Ferrari was going to attend every race part of the season over Daytona just because I, 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 there was something there, but now I don't think the car was ready to get it over there, so they didn't bother. But that was that infamous one where, you know, Ford took the one, two, three, uh, and fifth. Uh, but the best place Ferrari would have been Nart's 365 P2, which took fourth in the hands of uh, Rodriguez and Andretti. Now, P3 made its competitive debut at the Sebring in 12 hours on the 23rd of March, with Parks and Bondurant starting from second on chassis 0846 behind the uh, works Ferrari, uh, Ford GT40s of Gurney and Grant. So, there's five other ones in there, and a couple other cha uh, Chaparrales that were in that top 10 of that qualifying that race that year. Now, having, having led for much of the first hour, uh, the P3 was subsequently occupied uh, the second and third position turning on stops for fuel and drive change. It was lying second when Bond Rock became stranded out on circuit to see his gears box at about three quarters of the distance. Again, Ford's finished first, second, and third. So, faulty gearbox took him out. Now, Ferrari chose not to attend the, the Le Mans test in April for that year. They were just happy to conduct their testing at Monza for the 1,000 kilometers, but... Um, more likely that was kind of dictated by the labor disputes that were still going on. So 
John Surtees returned to the to the team back at, uh, for the next Monza race. Now it was his first race back since his near fatal accident at the Canadian GP uh, KM race that previous September. Now, in the absence of any worked forward to Chaparral, Surtees imparts the commanding win in Italy and driving a P3 Berlinetta chassis 0844. Imagine that in Italy, winning in that car. I think the crowd must have been going nuts. Now, the team entered their uh, the the P3 Spider chassis 0846 for the Targa Florida that was held on May 8th. Now, Vaccarella and Bandini were supported by you know a bunch of Dinos. Now Ford and Chaparral were, you know, again absent, which the biggest threat to Ferrari came from the five-car Porsche Works team, with their uh, team of the Group Six 906s. Now the event saw the P3 battle out with experimental eight-cylinder 906 of Gunther and Gunther Class, Colin Davis, you know, until Bandini hit a curve about two-thirds of the distance and crashed the P3 while in second position. Unfortunately, you know, the more fancy pair of the Porsche also fell by wayside after making contact with one another, which resulted in a victory. 906 of William Maurice and Herbert Mueller. The Dino of Gusset and Baghetti finished second and won in its class. Now, hey, if I'm hacking up these names, I apologize. I'm not Italian and I'm not foreign, so I can't pronounce these things great. Now, at Spa, they went on to do a basically a flag-to-flag -flag victory with the chassis 0844. And two weeks later... I'm sorry, I got that messed up. I'm reading my notes. My bad. So, in getting on this, so we're kind of jumping ahead and a few more things now. We're going to get, you know, kind of more into talking about. Now, they, I was, okay, let me, I'll get to the point. <laughs> At the spa, thousand kilometers, they went, flag, you know, flag to flag and and took it to them. So they, that was a, a outstanding. Now, going into second place were Parks and Surtees in the Spider, the 0846. Now, that was the final race. The uh, final race prior to the Le Mans was the Nürburgring, thousand kilometers. So now they started on pole. Ahead of the Chaparral of Bonner and Phil Hill, which uh, they were making their European debut. Well, however, while Surtees pulled clear of Bonner during the first hour, the P3 came in soon after for an unscheduled check and had to get a, a shock reserver uh, replaced. So, you know, obviously dropping down the order, Parks had actually moved the car back into eighth before the rear suspension just collapsed, just after Surtees had taken the wheel for a second stint. So then a clutch failure at decorous distance put the 0846 chassis out for good and the chaperone went on to win but they were chased home by a bunch of works dinos so they still were represented pretty well but the p3 didn't have much luck at that race so with two wins apiece for ford and ferrari for the 66 championship the race we decided to result the 24 hours of Le Mans, which took place obviously the weekend of june 18th and 19th now for this event ferrari had a trio of p3s in attendance for parks and surtees in 0848 Bouchette and Bandini in 0844, Rodriguez and Ginter in 0846. Now, unfortunately, a disagreement between Surtees and team manager Eugenio Dragoni saw the Englishman walk out. He was placed by reserve driver Ludovico Scarfiati. I think everyone might know that story because, um, you know, obviously Dragoni had some favoritism going on and Surtees was not pleased about what was going on and the team orders that Dragoni's putting together. So, 
he just said, screw this. He got in his car. Um, I believe, I can't remember what one it was. Um, it was a Ferrari. And he got in it and drove to the factory in Marinello to confront Enzo face-to-face -face about it because he was just not happy. So now, getting back to the race, you know, despite the presence of four P2s and 3s from Ferrari's satellite teams, the race was a disaster for Ferrari. Scarfiati wrecked 048 when he smashed into a near stationary Matra soon after midnight. Rodriguez and Ginter went out shortly before mid-distance with a gearbox failure while lying fourth. And the much-delayed Bandini Goucher machine blew a head gasket during the 17th hour, having limped around with an overheating engine for quite some time. Now, as we know what happened with that one, because thanks to their Ford's famous 1-2-3 finish, Lamar Ford won the championship by 38 points to Ferrari's 36. So, that's kind of a brief thing. I might have hacked that up a bit, and I apologize. So, that's my bad. It's trying to read my notes. My handwriting is absolutely horrendous. But as people know, looking at these P3s, you know, they're absolutely stunning cars. You know, trying to find one come up for sale now is probably, you know, you're not going to see it. Any of those are going to change. They're going to change hands privately. Those are going to be done off market. And those are going to be sold for several, several millions of dollars. But, you know, hopefully, you know, owners that get those cars and they um, utilize them. Take them out. Take them to Goodwood. Take them to the events. Take them to Pebble Beach. You know, stretch your legs. Get them, you know. Those cars are made to be driven. All cars are made to be driven. You know, being stacks of places, unfortunate. You know, God bless these museums and stuff. But, you know, you really need to get out there and let those cars stretch your legs a bit. So, anyways, that's kind of what I wanted to chit-chat about today and kind of go over that. So if anybody's got any questions or any corrections, which there probably are in this, please email me, william at marketplace.com. Let me know. Want to get a little more interactive with you guys. I know there's, you know, we're not, don't have hundreds of thousands of people listening, but we do have a nice little select few so far, it looks like. So hey, reach out, let me know. Hey, suggest a topic, let me know. I got research notes on tons and tons of stuff. Like I said, so we're going to kind of get this going on a weekly thing and drop new ones every Tuesday. So again, hey, I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, and hey, share it around, spread it around and get other people listening. And like I said, I'm going to try and get some uh, guests on and see what I can do. And of course, I'm going to have to figure out how to do that with someone that's not in the same place as me. So again, I'm not the most tech savvy person. So again, guys, hey, I really appreciate you guys listening and take care and we will be back next week. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. This episode has been brought to you by Grand Touring Motorsports as part of our Motoring Podcast Network. For more episodes like this, tune in each week for more exciting and educational content from organizations like the Exotic Car Marketplace, the Motoring Historian, Brake Fix, and many others. If you'd like to support Grand Touring Motorsports and the Motoring Podcast Network, sign up for one of our many sponsorship tiers at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. Please note that the content, opinions, and materials presented and expressed in this episode are those of its creator, and this episode has been published with their consent. If you have any inquiries about this program, please contact the creators of this episode via email or social media, as mentioned in the episode.